I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, this morning, if you were at the sunrise service, uh, I had the first half, which left Jesus in the grave. Uh, and Mark Smith, Pastor Mark, had the second half where he brought him out, and he went to 1 Corinthians 15. And he said, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder. I said, thunder away, buddy. You know, it's like, you can't take this message away on, on uh, um, Easter Sunday. Uh, he is risen indeed. Didn't give you the chance. So one day, the Apostle Paul, just to give you a setting, an understanding of where 1 Corinthians 15 comes from. Excuse me. One day, the Apostle Paul was sitting in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus in Turkey, minding his own business. I think he was having his first cup of coffee, right, and he got the mail, and he's sitting there, and he's, he's, you know, he's doing this thing. That's really convenient to have this here. You know, he's got his coffee, and he's going through his mail, and he's going through, and, oh, look, here's a letter from my friends in Corinth, right? And he starts, and so he opens this letter in Corinth, and if, if you're not aware of this, the, le- the book of 1 Corinthians is written in response to a letter he had received from people in Corinth, uh, talking to him about problems they have since he's been gone, and can he help them with the problems? Uh, and, and so he says, what do they have? Oh, looks like they have some problems they want them to deal with. Looks like there's division in the church. I'll have to write something about that. Immorality in the church, that's bad. They're suing one another, that's bad. I'll have to put a stop to that. Looks like I have to give them some advice about marriage. Looks like they're not looking out for each other right. Some clarification on the Lord's Supper. <sighs> they're having confusion about spiritual gifts. Somebody's telling them there's no resurrection. <laughs> it's like, these are all bad, but you have got to be kidding me. Somebody's telling them there's no resurrection. This was somebody in the church. And so when he writes this, when you look at the first words of chapter 15, he says, now I make known to you, brothers. Every time he says now, he's address- or virtually every time, you see at the start of chapters, right? If you look at chapter 12, look at the start of chapter 12. He says, uh, now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, he's writing about another thing they had written. Uh, in in uh, chapter 10, he says, For I do not want you to be aware. In chapter 8, he says, Now, concerning food sacrificed to idols, when he says these now things, he's addressing issues they wrote to him in a letter. And they wrote to him that there's people in the church teaching there is no resurrection. And he says, I'm going to write, I'm going to fix that, I'm going to write him a whole chapter. <laughs> I'm going to straighten this thing out. They, they seem to have a problem with these different things, but, but first Corinthians, I mean, of all of them, I think this is the one that got him, got his dander up. I think this is the one where he put his coffee down, grabbed his quill, and got to work, because he's going to do something about that. And so today we're going to follow him through just part of this chapter, as he addresses this teaching that there was no resurrection. Uh, we're going to see some things. We're going to follow his argument. Salvation demands there is a resurrection. Uh, The scripture demands there is a resurrection. Eyewitnesses proclaim there is a resurrection. Christianity is useless without a resurrection. But the good news is there is a resurrection. (laughs) It's like, wow, you know, good thing it's there or else this whole thing falls apart. And that's the whole point. If there is no resurrection, we have no business being in this room. You know, we can be out Eating boiled eggs, which <laughs> boiled eggs are okay, I guess. Uh, salt and pepper, you know. Uh, so let's start with verses 1 and 2. Salvation demands it. 
Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Uh, he says, this is the gospel, buddy. This is what it's all about. This is what you need to know. This is the gospel I preached. This is the gospel you received. This is the gospel in which you stand. If you are not standing in this gospel, you are not standing. It's, it's, this isn't complicated. This isn't rocket surgery. Or rocket You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Brain science or rocket surgery, you know. <laughs> I just, in my defense, I did a good Friday. I did a sunrise service, and we had a work day in between. So <laughs> I know I'm always like this. But he says, this is it. Uh, if you're standing, you're standing in this. If you're not standing in a gospel that includes the resurrection, you are not standing at all. You've fallen away somewhere. And, and you know, the weird thing to me is that he has to write this at all as if anybody is paying any time, uh, paying any attention to what these guys say, giving them the light of day. How many of you, if someone walks in and says, by the way, just so you know, the resurrection never, ever, never happened, how many are you going to say, wow, I wonder if he's right? Right? It's not going to happen. We're not going to give them that. This should not need to be written in the church. But for some reason, these people are hearing them and giving them credence. And, and he has to write it about it. And he says, you've fallen away somewhere. You were standing, and now you're not. You have slipped. We watched uh, Home Alone for the first time in, I don't know how many years. We watched it last night. We ended up fast-forwarding through about the first half because those kids are just crude. But then, but then, then when the, I don't remember where I was going with this. It was fun. <laughs> Oh, the guys who couldn't stand, they kept trying to stand. The kid, you know, he, he hosed down the steps. These guys are, whoop, boom, whoop, boom. They must have fallen five times. I'm watching these guys going out on these steps. They could not, they'd lost their ability to stand. They had slipped, they had fallen. It was painful, right? It was fun to watch. The kids laughed their heads off <laughs> watching this. Anyway, uh, life is a current, or I should say life has a current. Life has a current that will sweep you away. I, I, if you have never walked in a stream or a river that has enough current to pot potentially wash you off your feet, you don't know what it feels like. But if you have, you know, that's what life is. If you do not have good footing, you will be washed away by life washed away from the truth, washed away from Christ. And so you need to have good footing. And these people, they're not standing. They've allowed themselves to lose their footing in Christ, in the resurrection. And because they've done that, they're no longer standing. They're drifting away. And, and, and you know, the current, by the way, when I say drifting away, you know, that current that's strong enough to wash you off the feet, does that feel like drifting away? <laughs> You're getting washed away, right? It's, it's, it's a powerful thing. It is the gospel in which you stand or you do not stand, right? His first point, in which you stand. It is the gospel by which you are saved. Hold fast to the gospel. It is the message that has saved you. Do not trade us for, for some powerless message. And by the way, you say, you keep saying gospel. There's a chance here someone says, you know, that's a meaningless word to me. I don't know what you mean by it. The gospel is Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ rose in victory, gaining new life and giving new life. And as we trust him to pay for our sins and give us new life, we have it. That is the gospel. Gospel means good news. That is the gospel that saves us. That is why we are here today. 
I, maybe you are here. I'll tell you what, I am not here because I'm religious. <laughs> maybe you're here you say, you know, I feel religious today. I think I'll go to church. Uh, I, you have my pity. Uh, sorry. This is the message. Hold fast to it. It is the message that saved you, and don't trade it for a powerless message that has nothing to offer you. Okay, don't do that. Okay, unless it's all for nothing, right? He says, unless you have believed in vain, unless it is useless, I believe I will gain eternity, right? And I will lose nothing. Wow, there's a deal for you, right? Here, tell you what, I have an empty wallet. Anybody have a full wallet? Like to trade? <laughs> oh, I got one. <laughs> I don't trust your wallet, buddy. <laughs> Looks like a pretty small wallet. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I believe I will gain eternity. The resurrection either means everything or it means nothing. And it does not mean something in between. There is no in between. It's everything or it's nothing. But salvation demands a resurrection. If there is no resurrection, there is no message of salvation. Salvation demands the resurrection. And then Scripture demands the resurrection. Verses 3 and 4. For I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Remember I said the gospel, the simple, straightforward gospel? One, he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Two, that he was buried. And three, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Scripture demands a resurrection. Now, I, I wish we had Paul here to elaborate on this because I don't feel like I can hold a candle to what he would say. Think of who Paul was. Paul was, first of all, this extraordinarily intelligent man, this extraordinarily gifted man. He was raised a Jew in the laws, raised to be a Pharisee and was outstanding among the Pharisees for his training and his wisdom and his, well, maybe not wisdom at that point, but his training for his grasp of, of, of truth, for his mastery of Scripture, for his zeal, for all those things he was outstanding. Then he became a Christian and began to debate the Jews using that same law over which he had this absolute mastery to defeat them in debate. So, so Paul, you know, I teach things in Sunday school where everybody agrees with me almost before I say it. And I know some of you who are in the class are saying, no, we don't, Steve. <laughs> but most of what, most, it's like, I'm not telling people things that they disagree with and trying to convince them. I'm telling people who, who agree or, or are quick to agree because it's just Bible truth and that's where we are. Right? But he, he has honed his skills debating with the opponents who are also skilled in this law, and he is always the winner. Right? He, this is Paul, the master of, of the Old Testament. And by this time, he has spent half of his life. By this time, by the time he's writing 1 Corinthians, he has spent half of his life, right? most of his adult life, doing that. Right? I wish he was here today because I'll tell you what I can do. I can go to Abraham and Isaac, and I can find, find them on a mountaintop. And I, Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac in obedience to God, and God says, wait, don't. I have provided the sacrifice. 
And Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son. His son's sin was paid for. God provided the sacrifice. See, I can do that. I can go to the Exodus. I can go to the Exodus, and, and, and we can take a lamb and kill it and catch its blood and paint the door frame with the lamb's blood. And everyone who was in a home protected by that lamb's blood did not experience death while everyone who was in a home that was not protected by the blood of the Lamb in that household, they did experience death. I can take you there. I can go to Ruth and talk about how she found a kinsman redeemer. I can go to Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, I can read, they pierce my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. Look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. I can go to Isaiah 53. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourgings we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And I'll tell you something. What I can do, I, what I can go to, I think it's pretty powerful. God, I, I know Paul. Could, could just leave us in awe of the things he would share. The Jewish scholar turned Christian. I would love to hear him go on about that phrase, according to the scriptures, and prove through each, just each one of those statements. Scripture demands a resurrection. It's not, it's not conveniently consistent with that message. Scripture demands a resurrection. On Pentecost, Peter quoted Psalm 16, which is not one of them that I've done so far. You will not allow your Holy One to see decay. Scripture demands a resurrection. It doesn't allow a resurrection. A resurrection doesn't uh, coincidentally agree with Scripture. It doesn't somehow fit into it if you look at it a certain way. Scripture demands a resurrection according to the Scriptures. If the resurrection had not happened, then Scripture is false. And we, like I said, we might as well go home. People who do not believe in the resurrection do not believe Scripture. Right? It's just, and that's not, I'm doing two negatives there. Those people who don't believe in the resurrection, neither do they believe Scripture. If you believe Scripture, you do believe in the resurrection. And if you say, well, I believe Scripture, but I don't believe in the resurrection, then I'm saying you do not know the Scripture you claim you believe. Because Scripture demands a resurrection. So we have salvation demands a resurrection. Then we have Scripture demands a resurrection. And then we have eyewitnesses proclaim a resurrection, verses 5 through 11. And that he appeared to Cephas. Then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Verse 11, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed, and, and witnesses put.
proclaim the resurrection. And I don't know how many of the 12 the people of Corinth knew. When he, when he says, when he talks about that he appeared to the 12, I don't know how many of those 12 they personally knew. Right? If you start quoting his witnesses, people I don't know, your witness doesn't mean much to me. Right? Uh, it's like, what does that mean? I, I, I once was having a discussion with someone who was, he started quoting, quoting people he knew who believed, uh, well, called themselves Christians, but believed unchristian things. And, he, and he, 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 he named name after name after name. So I started naming names. He says, well, who are those guys? I said, pastors that I know. <laughs> and for him, they held no credibility. But for me, they hold a lot of credibility. Men of God, faithfully serving, proclaiming the resurrection, right? Uh, these, he, I don't know how many of the 12 they knew, but I know they knew Cephas, right? And we get lost with that Cephas. We go, Cephas, why do we say Cephas? Cephas, you know, we have this guy, Simon Peter, except his given name was Simon. And somewhere along the way, Jesus said, I call you Peter. Peter is the Greek word that means rock. Cephas is the Hebrew word that means rock, or the Aramaic word that means rock. And, and, and he was also known as Simeon sometimes. <laughs> this guy walks around with four different names in the Bible, right? But it's Peter. They, they know Peter. They know Peter. He talks about them. They say, I'm of Peter. You know, if I was there in, in Corinth, I would love to hear these different guys come through. Because I would love to hear Paul when he came through because he's, he says my speech is despicable. He, he doesn't say nice things about his speech. But you know he was jam-packed with knowledge. And, and, and sometimes a guy whose speech mannerisms are not good, you still can't avoid hearing because you've got to hear what he says because he just shares so much. I think that's Paul. Peter, on the other hand, I think he was the guy you just wanted to hear. I think I, my, my version of Peter is this big, burly fisherman storyteller. And when we read the Gospel of Mark, I think we have the stories of Peter written down in, in an orderly form. And, and Peter comes in and he starts telling the stories. And when do you ever get tired of hearing Peter tell his stories about him and Jesus? And the answer is never. You know, it's like, it's like and, and, and they know Peter, right? They know Peter. They like Peter. They believe Peter. And when Paul says Peter is a witness of the resurrection, they go, yeah, he is. We've heard that because these people were eyewitnesses of Peter. And because they were eyewitnesses of Peter, they received his eyewitness testimony of Jesus Christ. And Peter is a witness. He says, 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom, he says, are still alive. Now, obviously, they're not still alive today. We can't go test them. Do we throw out their testimony? No, this was verifiable at that time. And because it was verifiable at that time, it was confirmed at that time. And because it was confirmed at that time, it is still confirmed. It doesn't become unconfirmed with time. It's the truth does not change. It is still true. And he's, when he tells these people, 500 witnesses, of whom most are still alive, they know some of them. They've met some of them. They've heard some of them. And then he goes, James. James is the brother of Jesus. And then Paul says, and me too. He says, I, I, he says, I was a little late to, to join the show, but I too am a witness of the risen Savior. So, so think about Paul's testimony, right? He's on the road persecuting Christians. He's riding his donkey you know, on his way to uh, Damascus where he's going to persecute Christians. He gets blasted onto the ground, right? I picture, I fell off a ladder once. And when you fall off a ladder, you fall really fast. 
and you land really hard. And you lay there and you go, what just happened? Okay, now I think that's what happened to Paul <laughs> when, he, when he hit the ground when that happened. And, and, and he hears this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, uh, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. <laughs> and Saul, at that point, he goes, no, not you, because you're not alive. <laughs> no, 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 no. He doesn't get to do that. At that point, he, yeah, at that point, he was still Saul, not Paul. Uh, he doesn't get to do that. He is a witness of the, it was a risen Savior that knocked him off that donkey or knocked him to the ground. I don't know if he was riding a donkey or walking. Uh, it was a risen Savior that knocked him to the ground. It was a risen Savior who talked to him and spoke to him and revealed things to him. He is a witness of the resurrection. He's, he's not a witness. He may have been a witness of the death. I, I personally think Paul probably, as Saul, probably saw a lot of Jesus while Jesus was in Jerusalem and Saul was a young Pharisee or a Pharisee trainee, whichever it was. I think he was a witness of both sides of Jesus or from both sides, both as the antagonist and as the, the follower. But he was a witness of the resurrection. And, and why does he have to write to the church about this? Because Christianity is pointless without the resurrection. He can't let this one go. He can't say, whether you believe this or not, that's your business. It's up to you. He says, no, I will fight for this. The resurrection is true. Christianity is pointless without the resurrection. Uh, it, it is absolutely essential to us. Salvation demands the resurrection. Scripture demands the resurrection. Eyewitness testimony proclaimed. Eyewitnesses proclaim the resurrection. And Christianity is useless without the resurrection. So we read verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And, and to me, the most striking words in that are some among you. I mean, some of you, some of you people in the church. And, and I'm, I'm pointing out as if some of you are doing that, and I don't believe any of you are doing that. And if you are, we're going to take you out and beat you up afterwards. Okay. In Jesus' name. <laughs> it's okay if you say in Jesus' name. <laughs> some of you are saying there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ alone or only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. If there is no resurrection, your faith is worthless. Sorry, I know, Wyatt, you still believe in Santa. Gonna drive. Sorry, it's worthless. <laughs> Once upon a time, you believed in Santa. Good thing mom and dad covered, right? Because <laughs> your faith in Santa was worthless. It means nothing. You had faith in something that was not there. It was worthless. If in this life alone you have faith in Christ, if for this life alone, it's worthless. It's like believing that the earth is flat. Not only are you wrong, but you don't gain anything by it. 
<laughs> right? It's, it's of no value to you. The, the, the belief does not benefit you in any way. You're believing in something that isn't there and for no benefit. You know, it's like, it's like investing in one of those, uh, what do they call them, where you invest in the pyramid schemes? You know, if you get it on the ground floor, you can make a lot of money, <laughs> right? And, and it can be a Ponzi scheme, yeah. Uh, but, but if you get in at the end, uh, you're just going to lose it all. It's, it's of no value. It is in vain. But he says, if there is, verse 19, if there is no resurrection, faith is actually a negative. It becomes a negative thing in your life. Look at verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Right? And by the way, if there is no resurrection, the stronger your faith, the more you should be pitied. Because the stronger your faith, the more you're doing for him. But there's nothing there. The stronger your faith, the more you're sacrificing for nothing. If there is no resurrection, the more faith you have, the more you act on that faith. And if there is no resurrection, the more you more faith you have, the more you lose. Aren't you lucky, oh, you have little faith, <laughs> who only risk a little and only lose a little? How convenient for you that you didn't lose much. If there is no resurrection, let me put it this way. Faith costs you something in this life, and it, we're looking for the payback in the next, right? The, the, the expense is now, the reward is there. And, and we can, I think we can all testify of how we have been blessed in this life as well of how we have gained so much in this life as well, of different ways that faith has been rewarding in this life as well. But what if it comes to something where you actually start losing everything because of your faith? What if it comes to a point where you lose your life for your faith? Right? Uh, then your faith is costing you much more. We've, we've been, we have been blessed, most of us, with a life where our faith has not cost us that much and we have been rewarded instead, even in this life. And that's nice, but it's not the case everywhere in the world. Uh, in many places of the world, faith is costing them tremendously, and they're paying that price. And if there is no resurrection, they're paying that price for nothing. So salvation demands a resurrection. Scripture demands a resurrection. Eyewitnesses proclaim resurrection, and Christianity is useless without a resurrection. Fortunately for us, <laughs> there is a resurrection. <laughs> right? Verse 5, chapter 15, verse 20. But the fact is, Christ had, chapter 15, verse 20a. <laughs> the fact is, Christ has been, Christ, I got to say this right, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. It is real. It's real. It's not pretend. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's not a story, and our faith is not in vain. And Jesus is risen, and he is just the first fruits. Guess what, guess what we are? We're the other fruits. <laughs> right? He is, he is like that first bud on a tree. We transplanted a tree last year. Uh, our, our, conveniently, the timing, if this thing lives, is because is our hawthorn tree, part of it at least blew down in the 
winter and we took the rest of it down. But this hawthorn tree had sent up a sucker over there. It was in the middle of a wild rose and the thing grew to be about maybe that tall, <laughs> right? And, and, uh, and we dug it out and we stuck it in, in the middle of the yard and planted it. And it did like you would expect. It, you know, kind of withered and shriveled. We're waiting to see if this tree's alive. We, we don't know. We won't know until that first bud appears, right? So far, it hasn't happened. It, it, we, were, we were trimming out there with the work days yesterday. We are trimming. There's a lilac bush out there. And we're trimming. It had lots of buds, right? Because lilacs are early budders. This thing is not an early butter, <laughs> and, and it, it still looks like a dead stick. It, but if we see one bud on that tree, if I walk out there one day and see one bud on that tree, guess what I now believe? It's alive, and there will be more. Christ, the first fruits, right? Christ, the first fruits. Uh, there will be more. He is the first. He is the proof. He is the evidence. Because Jesus has raised from the dead, we also will rise from the dead. Our faith is not worthless. It is not vain. We will rise with him. And so I want to say, I don't think there's anybody in here who does not believe in the resurrection. I don't think there's anybody in here who isn't agreeing with everything I say as I say it. You may say, you don't know much about transplanting trees, because let me explain this. Well, you might be right there. <laughs> I'm not going to claim to be a genius. Everything I transplant dies. <laughs> but uh, um, I think everybody in here, agree, like I said, agrees as I say it. But if by chance you're, you are the one or you are one of the two or three in here that say, I have not been convinced of what you say. But Jesus is speaking to you now. I want to tell you something. We've been talking about faith. Easter Sunday is a wonderful day to place your faith in Christ because it is a day of victory. It is a day of new life. If you have not asked Jesus to be your Savior, it, 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 the, the logic of the resurrection goes like this. The logic, I've, I've shared it, but I'm going to share it again. Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross for a reason, for a purpose. He came for that purpose. From birth, he was headed to that cross intentionally. He, he, he did not accidentally stumble on it and say, well, this is as good a way to die as any. This, this was his intent. That's why we read in Psalm 22, something written a thousand years before that, that they pierced my hands and my feet and my bones are all protruded and they, they cast lots for my clothing. This was, this was not unexpected. He knew what he was doing. He came for that purpose because he loves us so much that he came determined to die for our sins. And he didn't look at us and say, well, if you're going to be that way about it, I'm not going to. Which is probably how I would have responded. I'm so glad my God is better than I, better than me. Right? He did that for you. And what does he ask us to do to receive that gift? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have eternal life. And he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he gives it as a gift in response to our faith. And I ask you, by faith, come to Christ and receive eternal life. Father God, we praise you for your plan. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you for your faithfulness, the price you paid and, and the victory you won, and, and we celebrate with joy today. Let every heart celebrate with joy today what you have done for us. I pray in Jesus' name.